You're listening to Rosie on the House. And we're going to walk around the back of the yard here. I'm Rosie, and I know that surprises some of you that I've got the landscape garden hour, but I do this hour. So we welcome you to give us a call. My landscape and gardening hour questions and answers are a little bit different than John J. Harper's. I fix everything with one of two tools. If you want to find out what they are, call me with your landscape question. one 767 4348 I'm taking the helm of the garden hour. And John Jay, thanks for coming in. Good to see you, my man. It's good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. It has been a while. Jennifer had me out on the road, traipsing all over the globe there for a little while. It was a great trip. Romy is out at the Habitat Restore that's going to have a ribbon cutting. It probably just occurred. And uh, they're opening the Tempe Restore. Uh, it's going to have a, uh, uh, an event all day long. He'll be calling in and touching base with us about uh, what's going on out there. There's giveaways every hour. If you're in the area and you want to take a look at this, the you know, some people have the mistaken impression that the restores are nothing but used equipment. They, they have thousands of things that are still in the factory box. Absolutely. I found no. a... Uh, uh, oven range hood range still in the box uh here a few months ago there so don't let your preconceived notions tell you what it might be habitat restore grand opening today festivities going all day long starting at eight o'clock 3210 south mcclintock in tempe john jay what do you know about a corpse flower (laughs) they smell really bad (laughs) well they named one in tucson after me Oh, it's called Rosie the Corpse Flower. Ooh, well, <clears throat> that's not very flattering. <laughs> they're they are very unique, very cool, very most of them, uh, you know, the different flowers that uh, you know are in that kind of genre are are very attractive, but they have a really bad smell, which is how they attract the pollinators, which are flies in general, to come pollinate them. So they're they're uh a very unique uh, uh, botanical uh, note of interest. Well, like the one down at the Tucson Botanical Garden has got people all over the world watching it. What's the big What's the big deal about this thing? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's one of those. They got a live cam on it. Yeah, what's it, going it, on? It's one of those events that is. It's very, uh, as flowers go, it's very kind of methodical, slow. It so it lends itself to. To being watched like that, but the, they're they're pretty cool, pretty unique. You know, we've we've got a number of different succulents and things that bloom with, you know, that type of flower, carrion flowers we call them, and different things that. And the one attributing factor they have is they they smell like something died. <laughs> have you ever sold one? Absolutely. At the, at the nursery? Well, the, not this exact one, but yes, some other varieties that do have that trait with the. Uh, with the awful smell, they're pretty popular, actually. And I guess they're kind of like our agave and, and century plants. Like it only blooms like once every t- every decade. This particular, or then that's one thing. This particular one only blooms. Yeah, I forget what the cycle is, but it's not very often. <laughs> and so they've got Tucson TV stations down there with cameras, and they're taking this plant's temperature. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it grew an inch and a half yesterday. So they're saying it's like just imminent. Any day it's Any second. Bloom. And then yeah. it blooms for like two days and then closes back up for another decade? For however long, yeah. You won't be seen again. 
And and Jennifer, where can people see this live cam? On this on this flower, uh, we have it posted on our Facebook page. Okay, there's the easy location. So on Facebook, it's just RosieOnTheHouse.com Facebook. And in the live cam, yeah, you just scroll um, down. I have a couple things posted there, but you'll be able to see it. You know, see the rosy stink plant yeah. blossom. And if you want to see it in fast, you can go to YouTube and there's, they have some on there. Like we were talking about Jay, the the fast version, kind of time the time lapse. lapse, you know. And also, just wanted to throw out there, you know, people love to ask Jay questions, and a lot of people are doing the Pat's Run or whatever today. So text us four one one nine two three. We'll get those questions all answered and get you ready to go. I know it's the time of year; everybody's out there. While you're running, you can get your garden <laughs> questions answered <laughs> at the same time. And if you're not running and you're by a phone, it's one triple eight seven six seven. 4348. You know, that's the second thing in Arizona they've named after me. And the first was? The largemouth bass hanging in the marina at Roosevelt Lake. There you go. What a claim to fame. <laughs> wow. How big is, how big is this I, fish? I, I, it's a, like about an eight-pounder. Whoa. Yeah. Well, so a stinky nice fish bass. and a stinky flower. <laughs> Somebody trying to tell you something. What a legacy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you got for us today is a landscaping tip of the week here, starting off here in the spring, and we got the summer coming on and a really dry winter. What are, what are some wow. of the things we got to be considering? Yeah, is Phoenix beautiful or what, though, right now? Yellow. I mean, oh, it's my yellow. gosh. The Palo Verdes and Oleanders and Bougainvilleas, and, you know, it's hard not to drive around and just kind of go, ooh, ah, that looks really nice. So we're in the throes. How, of- how often does your eye catch the blossom of Okatia? I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're four and six and eight inches long just on fire right now. They are. The swarrows are starting to bud up. The, the uh, white-winged doves The white-wings that they have. Um, so we know it, and the mesquites are blooming. So we know the chances of getting much or any cold weather now are, are way past us. Uh, we're in the throes of planting, especially with cold weather being gone. You, you can feel very safe in planting anything that might be a little bit cold-touchy or cold-sensitive, like bougainvilleas and lantana and hibiscus are real tropical things. Um, you're, you're, you should be actually looking at tomatoes on your tomato plants. They should have started to set some fruit. Some of your real early birds might even be picking a few, so make oh. sure you're keeping those well fertilized. Uh, your lawns are going to start looking a little funny. If you had a winter lawn, they're going to start going through that ugly duckling phase tra- out. transition. The the rye starts to kind of die, especially we had that 100 degrees a week or so ago. It, it's been a weird spring because, you know, January and February were really warm. March was pretty cool. I don't know where it ranked, but it, you know, it was dry, but it was cool. April's been kind of up and down. We had 100. Now we're in the 50s, you know, 40s the other morning. Good, strong um, winds. Heavy winds. Yeah. Gosh. So things are a little topsy-turvy, but all in all, it, you know, you don't want to put off any a lot of your landscape planting, planning uh, too much longer and take advantage of this really great weather to be planting just about really anything. Um, even in the vegetable gardens, you can still be planting some of the warm season uh, crops and, and get away with it before it gets too hot. We'll continue having landscaping tips throughout the hour here with John J. Harper, but we're a call-in show, and we want to answer your questions at one 767 4348 So, Gary D., why don't you bring Dave into the conversation? Let me introduce him to John J. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Rosie. Thanks for taking my call. You bet, my man. What kind of landscaping project are you trying to tackle today? 
Well, first thing I wanted to say is uh, first-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, wow. I just recently moved to uh, to Arizona from, of course, same as everyone else, Southern California, Newport yeah. Beach. Yes, we love all you California immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> we had to hit the eject button, but I promised I wouldn't go political. Uh, Welcome. House and, built. and you're settled you. where now? Where in Arizona? Prescott Valley. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. So what are you uh, trying to tackle? New house just built. Uh, the cinder block wall between my property and my next door neighbor. There was a foundation on the wall that was laid, I don't know, a few years ago. And then when they finally built this phase of the houses, they added the remaining height to the wall. Well, there's a difference in the color of the cinder block from bottom to top. Uh, nothing that they can really do to make them match any more than what they've already done. So I'm wondering about putting a climbing plant, something like maybe a honeysuckle, up next to the fence to where it can climb or trellis up the cinder block wall. Is that going to damage the wall? By, by and large, no. I mean, you know, especially something like a honeysuckle or a plant that's not really a, a grabber or a clinging vine. Things like ivies, things that have, you know, an apparatus or a tendril or a part of the plant that actually will embed itself into the cinder block to cling on to can cause you know some minor damage typically though they don't it's not a structural damage thing it's more of a if you go to take them down and paint you're going to have to wire brush it or sand it to get the to get that off so I wouldn't be concerned with that really at, at all I mean it, it you might want to build a, a trellis out away from the wall a little bit if you want to do that but uh, I wouldn't worry about it great answer Rosie, thanks. I'm enjoying and, your show. Oh, well, Dave, thanks a million. And you, he could come out in front of that wall and build a little uh, dry stack bell guard retaining wall, put a planter and landscape it and light it. And Absolutely. It, a great opportunity, and that's probably, the I think, the most attractive, the most energy-conscious way to, to uh, screen that wall is to do it with, with some vines or some large-growing shrubs. And, and that's another thing. If you're worried about, you know, integrity of the wall, there are large-growing shrubs. It doesn't have to be a vine on that wall unless you're just trying to cut down on the amount of space it's going to take back into the yard. Now, John Jay, in, in our little tour of the Mediterranean, there were a lot of grape lattices. And, I mean, I they really caught my eye. I mean, the, they were really, really handsome and create a ton of shade right yep. when you need it in the summer, right? Exactly. So grapes are great for a covering for a roof, like a like a pergola or, or a, a west Ramada side wall, or a of west your side house. wall, so that you get summer sun and winter shade. They grow fast, and guess what? You get to pick grapes off of them. And they and they do okay in Arizona. Absolutely, we have lots of grapes that do. do in almost any part of the state of Arizona, there are grape varieties that. Will do you grow. try and harvest grapes, or you just feed the birds the grapes? Well, a little both. Know, little of both. we've done.
done for the last 30 years, putting a smile on your face every single Saturday morning with Rosie on the house. John J. Harper's here in studio this morning talking about landscaping and gardening, talking through Dave's issue in a new home up in Prescott Valley, a recent move in from the great state of California. And we've got Ruthie and Jason. Let's see if we can get to a couple more calls. And our number, if you want to join the conversation, is one 767 4348. Good morning, Miss Ruthie. Good morning, Rosie. How you doing? I'm super fantabulous. How about yourself? Oh, you all you always are. That's <laughs> why I like to listen. You guys are always up and ready to go on Saturday morning. Sa- on, on, now the other six days of the week it's kinda of tough, but every Saturday we're up and ready to go. We can make it one day. <laughs> Well, it sounds good anyway. You're putting on a good front if if you're not anyway. <laughs> what what are you trying to tackle around your landscape and gardening today? Well, I have a, call, uh, a question for John Jay. Uh, I have a Bermuda, Bermuda lawn that I just let go dormant during the winter, and it's already greened up and stuff, but I have trouble with, and I'm not sure if it's pearl scale, but it's those brown areas that when it gets really hot in the summer, and I treat it with something that I buy at, at a nursery, and and um, I'm just wondering, is it, I'm seeing all my yard green except certain spots. Can that be a problem already? It's not really hot enough, is it? Oh, generally, uh, pearl scale is not too symptomatic until it starts to get heat stressed. You know, the, the, the plant starts to get stressed from the heat. Doesn't, mu- doesn't mean it can't be a problem already. I, I would probably, the first thing I always check are my sprinkler system, my coverage, especially if you Check the been, sprinklers. I've been hand-watering those areas every night just okay. because I'm thinking, you know, just in case it's the sprinklers that aren't hitting it. And I know it just doesn't seem to be greening up. It's, it's a pretty big difference. My Bermuda well, is really pearl scales nice. Pearl scale is really easy to find if you, uh, you know, get, get the ground a little bit moist so you can dig it pretty easily. Just stick a shovel into the ground right on the line the the green and the brown line get half and half with your okay. shovel and get a full shovel full go all the way down and all the way you know so you're trying to dig a hole get a good big thick shovel full of soil uh, in the top part of the grass take it over in a cardboard box or something on and lay it out on a counter or lay it on the ground if you want and just start kind of flicking through it. If you've got it bad enough, you won't have to do anything. You'll see them right away. And they look okay. like pearls. Uh, it's the it's a perfect name for this thing, you know. But if you're uncomfortable diagnosing it yourself, you know, if you're in Gilbert, take it over to A&P Nursery. Uh, in- yeah, I, I think that's where I bought. Um, I, and I, I notice it every year, and I do treat it every year. What do you, um, If you're um, not treating with sulfur, add granular sulfur, dispersol, or a soil sulfur to your uh, your remedy. And that okay. really probably is the most effective, more so than any probably insecticide that we have. There really isn't anything that's quote-unquote labeled for pearl scale. We use a, we use a number of different things uh, because they will kind of work, but sulfur we're finding uh, probably works better than almost anything. And some organic material probably would help as well. And just spread it on, huh? just like, like with a spreader? Absolutely, just like you'd put a fertilizer yeah. on with a whirly so bird. I buy or something that says, like, grub something on it, uh, you know, that's the uh, label on it. Yeah, I understand, like but the sulfur is what's really going to help you. 
And, Ruthie, we appreciate the call. We appreciate the kind words about the show. And do I have it right in my memory? Wasn't one of your dad's solutions to per scale a for sale sign? That's nut grass. <laughs> well, that's nut, no, grass. nut grass. Okay, yeah. that's a different thing. <laughs> so you can get on. You can get on top of pearl scale. Yeah, yeah. You, okay. you probably can. It, it'll take constant effort, but you you should be able to do it. All right. Well, let's bring Romy back into the conversation. He's broadcasting out live. Our roaming reporter this morning out at the new Habitat for Humanity Restore opening in Tempe. It's already open. In fact, uh, as I walked in, the hundredth person walked in in front of me. There was a line standing out front, and we're doing a quick tour right now. We've kind of come to the back area where the the entire building is 25,000 square feet, and they've got about eight here sectioned back just on overstocked inventory. They don't even have room to get out on the shelf. There's brand. There's a pallet of one, two, three, twenty-eight uh, brand-new toilets, and there's two pallets of them right here uh, still in cellophane. A lot of the stuff was just donations uh we talked about you know you hear mr barlow on his ads talking about how a lot of it's from deconstruction well a lot of this is overstock stuff they had nowhere to go we're looking at a whole line of frigid air units that have still have the plastic right on them this one's a stainless steel that may just i may just have to write my name on this one uh and all that all that great prices and the great thing is it all supports the mission at habitat for humanity and y'all got great giveaways going every hour, You know what they right? do? Their giveaways are, are every single hour at the bottom of the hour. So they'll be doing their first one here coming up in about five minutes. Now, you don't have to be present to win. You can come by, enter the giveaway, and they'll contact you. But microwaves, Adirondack chairs, area rugs, chandeliers, beddings, refrigerators, and the granddaddy at the end of 58-inch flat screen TV. So there's all kinds of things that uh, that they're doing for this promotion, a new opening. This is now their fourth location. They've got one in Peoria, one in Anthem. The one in Mesa is no longer there, but they're in the central Phoenix and now Tempe, or south Phoenix and now Tempe. So it's the Habitat Restore Grand Opening, northwest corner of Southern McClintock. Breezing our way through a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning with Rosie on the house. Welcome. We show up every Saturday morning and have for 30 years with one goal in mind, to become every Arizona homeowner's best friend for provi- by providing free information about anything having to do with your house, home, castle, or cabin. In the 8 o'clock hour, it's always the landscape, gardening, irrigation, tree trimming, lawn mowing segment. We've got John J. Harper in here joining us this morning, and we've got Jason calling in from Sun City. If you've got a landscape or gardening question, you'd like to talk to John Jay, we do have an open line at one 767 Good morning, Jason. Good morning, folks. Thank you for having me on your show this morning. You betcha. What you trying to tackle? So I've got about uh, seven-foot-tall oleanders in the front yard that I am wanting to cut down to about a foot. Didn't know if uh, now is the right time to do it or if I should kind of put a shade structure over it after I cut it down so it doesn't get sunburnt too bad. No, they're oleanders. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel sorry. Don't feel sorry for them at all. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, normally encourage somebody to trim them this time of year because they're in full bloom, more than likely. 
um, for so for sake of you know losing the flowers, but it sounds like you're doing this for a reason to cut them that low. Um, you certainly can do it this time of year, and you don't need to take any kind of measures like shading or protecting. They'll be fine. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for the call. You're welcome. Whittle a seven-foot oleander down to a foot, and she'll be back to be in a seven-foot oleander in about two years. You know, I I think we've mentioned (laughs) this, but I've I've gone out on insurance estimates where a house has burned and the oleanders have have been part of the fire. (laughs) Burnt, you know, people thought they were burnt to the ground. By the time we got the appointment and I got there, they were starting to grow back. So you can literally burn them to the ground. (laughs) You can't kill them. (laughs) <laughs> in our remodeling, when we have a row of oleanders that are in the way of what we want to do, uh, we we generally just call in the Air Force. Yeah, right. <laughs> could Air you strike. Na- could you napalm this particular <laughs> lot right here? Yeah. But it it takes it takes a backhoe. Yeah. Uh, and it takes over excavation, the root ball plus two or three more feet. Then we recompact and put it all back in by layers and. Yeah, it's it's a chore. There's a reason they're hardy. <laughs> now, are they poisonous? Yes, the the uh, the sap from oleander is is poisonous. It takes I don't know how much it takes. I am not always the smartest person in the world, but I have actually tasted it, put it in my mouth. It is the most awful, nasty thing. I'm not encouraging anybody to do it, but I, I, got, yeah. I can't do imagine. Do not try this at home. <laughs> eating enough of it to to get poisoned by it. And that's usually not how it happens. It usually happens because it gets mixed in with something. People with horses that throw hay on the ground, feed on the ground, and oleander leaves were on the... Oh. So they ate it with the hay. Uh, they won't go... Horses, as dumb as they are, won't go over and just start eating on oleander if it's a, you know, a, a hedge of oleanders there. It's just awful, nasty stuff. But uh, so, but they are. They're, there's, they're poisonous. But uh, I, I, unless I'm missing something, I haven't seen any cases of anybody getting poisoned by them in recent memory. They're planted for privacy screens, Typically. shade screens. What would be a good alternative to oleander? Uh, sour orange uh, is is a great alternative. Uh, the uh, full sized orange and yellow bells are great alternatives to that. Uh, even small trees like mastic uh, make a great thick, full uh, type hedge uh, that can be sheared and, and kept that way. So, you know, there's some good ones, but it's boy, it's hard to replace them in certain situations if you need something that's fast growing, tough, doesn't need a lot of water. And if you've got the space and room, um, you know, I, I, and they're beautiful right now. I mean, you drive around, and they're just fabulous. I want to get to Lee, who's calling from Phoenix, but I want one more question on oleanders first. Will a dwarf oleander really stay dwarf? Absolutely. They yeah. do. So dwarf typically means it's about half the size of a full-grown one, and most dwarf oleanders are that or less. Still doesn't mean they're not going to they're going to stay two or three feet tall. Uh-huh. I mean, they're five or six. Yeah, feet. yeah. So, but way, way more compact than a full size. It's nothing for an oleander after years to be 15, 20 feet high. Oh, no, yeah, no, or 25 or 30. Yeah, yeah. massive, massive. All right, let's get back to the phones. We've got Lee, we've got Ken, we've got Naomi, but Lee's up first calling from Phoenix. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. 
Uh, I had a question about clover as ground cover. I've got a couple of ash trees in my backyard that are on the uh, west side, and that ground under them is in shade most of the day. And so I'm curious if clover is a good idea. Well, you could try clover. Uh, dichondra is another one. looks a little bit like clover, round-leafed uh, little ground cover. Uh, that, that would work well. Um, you may have to do a little experimenting, but uh, those are the types of things you're going to have to get to grow in, in that shady area for sure. Now, when I read Popular Mechanics in the back on one of those little ads, they sell shade-tolerant grass. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, what's the your pro- what's your opinion the of those? The problem with most of those quote unquote shade tolerant glasses grasses is they are cool season grasses. They're a bluegrass, fescue, ryegrass blend type thing. They'll do marvelously here until about July. Yeah. Okay. And then the nights when those when our nights quit cooling off, uh, you know, you're gonna have some problems. Fescue by itself is probably the most heat tolerant of those can be grown with some um, success, but you want to do it now. Don't wait till it gets hot to do it. And the Arizona ash is a pretty big canopy tree, so he's dealing with probably a pretty good area of yeah. dirt. And remember the other part of the fact that they're also it's shade for sure, but you also have a big tree competing for water and nutrients around the base and underneath it. So you generally have to water a little more and fertilize a little more frequently to have a good stand of grass or ground cover underneath a big, competitive, vigorous tree like that. There you go. Lee, we appreciate the call. Let's see if we can sneak Ken in from Mesa real quick. Good morning, Ken. Welcome to Rosie on the House. Good morning. I've got a couple of uh, 15, 20-foot Italian cypress that have turned gray over the years, and I'm uh, just wondering if I'm not feeding them right or if I've got some disease. My guess is you've got probably uh, mites, spider mites or mites on them that make them have that gray, dusty appearance to them. Take a, take a sheet of paper, white or yellow legal pad paper over there, and take some of that plant and bend it over and kind of tap it against that paper, and then wait just a second, and you'll probably see the head of a pin or smaller little dots start moving around. Um, If that's the case, then you need to treat it. uh, It's an insect, so you'll need to treat it accordingly. Would you recommend an insecticide for that? Uh, Spinosad works pretty darn well on mites. Uh, Also, just good, strong, high pressure. Get the dirt and dust out of those uh, cypress. Those mites travel around and are transported on dust particles, so keep it clean, keep it washed down once in a while. We haven't had enough rain to do that, unfortunately, and then treat it with something like Spinosad. Make sure you read the labels. Make sure it lists spider mites or mites or red-spotted mites or something like that on the label. Thank you. Now, that's plant care even Rosie can do. Power wash your Italian side. Uh, Actually, a power washer would work very well. That's what I'm talking about, man. (laughs) And it can be so spider mite infested that it changes the actual color of the tree? Absolutely. And and one thing you might actually be seeing is some webbing from a distance. They can be so bad there's, you know, there's webbing there. But they certainly, they're, they're sucking enough chlorophyll out of the plant. Uh, that it gets, it just changes it to a gray and then eventually brown if you let it go too long. Did you happen to hear the show last week? 
You probably no, on the road, I weren't did you? Not. I was. Where we brought in the arborist, talking about a book called The Tree Whisperer, a German author who talks about the feelings of trees I, and how they communicate to each other. I, I did miss that. He, it was one of the most fascinating conversations. I, I thought when I saw the title of the book, I thought, ooh, this will be real woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are trees that when a particular uh, uh, bug attacks the bark, it starts emitting, a, they've detected a particular phenome that attracts a particular wasp that lays its eggs inside that worm. And when the eggs hatch, it eats the worm, the tree recovers. In Africa, there's an acacia tree that the giraffes like to eat. Mm-hmm. And as the tree is being chewed on by a giraffe, it emits an odor where all the acacia trees downwind then start producing and sending tannins to the leaves, which the giraffes don't like. So you always see giraffes feeding upwind. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea on that. They, I did know that the, the, the pheromone, yeah, whatever it is that, <laughs> that they do. The, obviously, when it, especially a weakened plant um, will, yeah, obviously, because you'll, you'll go to a row of plants and there's one plant just getting murdered. Right, right, right. It's like the other plants are teamed up on it's it. It's like, okay, how come you're just picking on that guy? You know, so there's, there's obviously something going on. It was absolutely incredible, and the, and the, and they're they're now measuring micro amperages between the root feeding signal systems where the trees are communicating electromagnetically through the root balls. I mean, and and the fungus that grows on the ends of the root tips now are communicating to other trees as to whether that tree's in distress or not. It's a whole new world out there, isn't there? <laughs> Man. That's pretty wild stuff. Who Who'd have thunk that, yeah. right? Uh, a... Well, we're not here just to answer Rosie's curiosity. We're here to answer your questions as well at one 767 Miss Naomi, I'm going to ask you to just hold on a couple minutes here, and we'll be getting to you right after just a short little break here. I want to break away here just for a minute to Romy, who's out on a remote broadcast at Habitat for Humanity, wanting to talk about his landscaping projects and products. Well, I tell you what, I got my landscape project figured out for this weekend. There is no less than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times 1080 Adirondack chairs that are solid wood oh, yeah. for less than 40 bucks, 37. I'm bringing two of these home, and I've got all the blooms, the leaves are out on my mulberry tree. And I'm going to have me a nice power nap on the lawn under my mulberry tree in this new Adirondack chair. That's my landscape project for this weekend. And that's going to be bug-free because just last night we were walking around the orchard and the garden. And those nasty little bugs started coming back. So we hooked up our Captain Jack's dead bug brew to our hose sprayer. Gave it all a nice power wash. It kills on contact. And it's so organic and safe. You can actually harvest. You can put it right on your edibles and eat the produce the same day you apply. Uh, the oils on it to coat and, and smother and kill the insects. And we're talking uh, on trees, right on vegetables. You can use it in flower gardens, shrubs, wherever you've got a bug problem. Bonides products that are family made in America have a line called Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew that'll help keep you uh, insect free and it'll repel for up to 30 days. You can find Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew all over the great state of Arizona, including Christopher's Garden Center in Lakeside. 
Oh, that's easy cruising music. Kind of takes you right through the Saturday morning real easy, doesn't it? Put D. A, Nelson. Put a little s- tap in your toe, a little skip in your little, walk. A little gardening mood music. Yeah. So those roots are communicating with, my, that's with right. me. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Uh, I, after that guy left the studio last week, I thought, well, I'm never going to take a walk through the forest without my amp meter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start checking. I'm going to start checking every tree. <laughs> I'm going to start listening a whole lot harder. I'll tell you that. That's for sure. Let's see if we can bring Miss Naomi into the conversation here at Rosie on the House. Miss Naomi, let me introduce you to John J. Harper. What's your landscaping project this morning? Well, it's not really landscaping. My daughter is getting married in November, and she want, she put me in charge of flowers. Why, I don't know, because I know nothing about that. But <laughs> she wants to use bougainvillea because she loves the color. Okay. And I want to know, can we store that for a day? Is that feasible? And is that in bloom in November? Well, good questions. Uh, yeah, you'd be okay for a day. Um, they don't last a long, long time. Uh, but... You know they're they're and they're you know they're real papery. So trying to transport them and move them, mm. once you you have to be real careful. You don't just knock all the the little flowering bracts off of the stems. But if you're careful, and and you know it's just going to cause you a little rushing because you're not going to be able to do it three, four, five days ahead of time and have right. them last. Now, what should we store them in? Is there any special just water and, Wa- and water else? that's you know kind of room temperature? Don't put them in. I would not put bougainvillea in cold or dark. Place. So okay. probably on the covered patio uh, in, you know, kind of the, you know, ambient temperatured water would be fine. And if that, if, if we can't, if she doesn't want to rush that much, is there anything else that you would suggest that's that color? Holy cow. Um, well, <laughs> you could, you could probably get spray roses. Do you know what spray roses are? Little no. smaller roses, cluster it's a cluster oh, okay. rose. Um, yeah, I've seen those. That, that uh-huh. would, you know, that you could get kind of in that in a similar color uh, that okay. would probably hold up better for sure. Right. But, um, yeah, that'd be a okay. that'd be a good plan B. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help, and I love the show. Well, thanks, Miss Naomi. I appreciate the kind words. Flowers and weddings. Well, that was a first, you think? I first I think it is. First wedding flower question we've had in 30 years. I loved it. She may start something. I don't know. <laughs> that co- the color of those is amazing. Hey, I just had a lady call very concerned that we didn't express enough how poisonous oleanders are. So I just wanted to get it out there. Um, she was talking about people eating them. I don't think people do, would <laughs> be tempted to eat them. But also, Jay, have you ever heard, I know we're always careful about our horses, but is that the same for chickens and small animals as well? She, oh, seemed, she seemed to think it was. So just I mean, Certainly. I think, you know, just be careful. If you've got oleanders in your on your property and you have animals, I would just encourage you not to feed on the ground around the oleanders. That's when they get in trouble is when they, the feed is mixed with or gets mixed up with them. Just as far as just straight eating of oleanders, other than, you know, a curious puppy. Well, you know, we know how dumb puppies can be. <laughs> just they chew on stuff more than they eat it. Mm-hmm. Um you know that that you might you probably want to watch is is you know young animals that are just curious and they're just chewers. Yeah. But as far as eating and digesting it, very very seldom, if ever, do we have a problem with just straight eating of that. It's usually because somebody has fed on the ground or it's gotten mixed in with 
with their feed. Yeah. So don't don't throw in the clippings in your cages or anything. So oh just, gosh, just no, be careful. Don't, no, yeah. no, don't do anything like that. Or yeah. It is poisonous. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 we don't want to short sell that. It is poisonous, but it's just not something that. Uh, you know, you're going to mistake for eating something because it looks good or tastes good. It tastes awful. <laughs> I tried it. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you doing that for yeah, all well, of us. You know, it's you know, just, you know. Don't do it. And just you're alive me. to talk about yeah, it, too. Well, yeah. you know, that could be my issue, but, uh, you know. Could be. <laughs> Hey, John Jay, thanks a million for coming in for the Landscape and Garden Hour. We've got a roaming reporter, Romy, out on the road today. He's out at the opening of the Tempe Habitat for Humanity Restore. Uh, ribbon cutting and grand opening today. That's my get back on air alarm. Excuse me. Nice to meet you, Cliff. And he's broadcasting live, speaking with all the guests that are there to meet him. <laughs> Or you, my alarm was going off. I thought, oh, that's usually that means they want me back on air at this preset time. At Were you looking e- for me at this exact time? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I was talking with Cliff. He's act- he actually only lives about three r- streets up from where we're at on uh, Southern and McClintock, and he was trying to find his neighbor had put uh, some siding on his home, and he said, "Man, it looks great." Blah 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 blah. Like, well, what kind of home? He's like, "It's a red brick." I'm like, man, why would you put? anything over red brick home you've got a maintenance free finish exterior product you haven't had to do anything for 50 years doesn't matter what you slap on there you're gonna have to do something else to recode it or repaint it or recite it man leave it alone why why add maintenance to a maintenance free building system he's like you know what I'm going home and enjoying that. <laughs> you, you talked him off the ledge, huh? I did. I did. I said, you know what? And, and in 10 years when your neighbor's out there repainting all this, you're going to be so glad you didn't do anything. <laughs> Amen. That's so true. Habitat for oh. Humanity Restore. Grand opening today, 3210 South McClintock in Tempe. They're going until 6 this evening. They've got a great giveaway campaign at the bottom of every hour. 830, 930, 1030, 30, 30, 30, 30. It's our, awesome. our first winner, Vicky, walked out of here and said, I can't believe it. I've never won anything in my life. And it was a brand new microwave. I'm standing in front of a 10-piece kitchen set. They've got marked for less than 600. So there's, if you've got a building project you're working on, I'd start, I'd start your building select material selection here at the Restore. Again, Southern and McClintock, Northwest Corner.